Hi, I'm Maggie Lewis, and I'm here with Mike Mazza on October 15th to bring everyone up to speed on what's going on with U.S. and Taiwan. Hi, Mike. Hey, Maggie. So we had a lot of activity in Taiwan's air defense identification zone in that period between October 1st and October 10th. Then we had sort of a, not huge, but a typhoon in the area, which seemed to slow things down. Uh, where do we stand in um, those kinds of activities, and what are you looking for in the days, weeks, months ahead? Yeah. So, you know, as you say, we had this huge spike uh, earlier this month, which was uh, getting a lot of international attention. Things have quieted down quite a bit. Um, there was a small flight on October 10th, Taiwan's National Day, which didn't come as too much of a surprise. But there's been nothing since, um, you know, too soon to draw conclusions about what uh, the these few days of, of quiet mean. Um, but if this continues for another, you know, week or or more, then then that's that's interesting, and I think would be unexpected. Yeah, I mean, I think it's you know interesting being on the ground here. I mean, albeit I'm 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 not just in uh, Taipei, but in Tianlongguo up in Tianmu, Shilin. So you know, we certainly don't feel like we're walking around in camouflage, staring at the heavens. But um, but certainly trying to figure out that right balance of preparedness, resilience. Um, awareness of the threats without having a population that's constantly uh, living in a state of anxiety, and that's that's not easy to calibrate. Yeah, I, you know, I think I think it was a is a good move for the Ministry of National Defense last year to begin releasing this data regularly, and because when you do so, you know, it, it used to be that these these flights would sort of leak out into the news every once in a while. And that would create a sense of crisis. Um, you know, on the one hand, unfortunately, people kind of get used to the fact that this is just something that happens now. Um, but on the other, there, there's reason for for concern sort of all the time at, at a low level. And, you know, the, the way I look at this is is that there's not or is unlikely to be an imminent threat to, to Taiwan. But I do think that, that the threat that China poses uh, militarily is is growing more urgent. It's not necessarily a you know far distant thing to worry about anymore. Yeah, and I think we saw that in President Tsai's speech, this desire for preparedness without panic. Um, and, and that will require, you know, additional defense expenditures. And again, thinking thoughtfully about what those expenditures should be, not just the the shiny objects, but the the real, how do you have an asymmetric defense? And I say this as someone who does nothing with the military. So I'll, I'll leave my opinions about there. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I thought was interesting about the speech um, was that President Tsai took the time to to make the argument that Beijing you know, as she put it, has shifted away from political and economic reform, you know, shifted away from this path that it had pursued since Deng Xiaoping began reform and opening up. Um, and, and to me, she was, it seemed to be that she was trying to, to sort of push the case that there's been some sort of fundamental change in China, um, which requires both people in Taiwan, but I think she was speaking to an international audience too, to, to just pay far greater attention to where things may be going. Exactly. So in other news this week, we learned that the Harvard Beijing Academy is uh, uh, closing down shop in, in Beijing and, and setting up shop in Taipei. How's that being received in, in Taiwan? 
It's exciting. And I think anything with Harvard gets some more news. But the question is how much this is going to start a trend. And Harvard is teaming up with uh, Taida, National Taiwan University. I really hope to see diversification here. Uh, I love um, NTU. It's, I've, I've done a lot of work there, but I think it'll be good to see hopefully also other parts of Taiwan. Uh, and, and also this bit, you know, looking back in history, you had, and it was the early 60s that the Stanford Center set up shop here as one of the premier Chinese language facilities. And, and certainly people who aren't that much older than I am, I'm mid 40s, a lot of them did their language training there. But then in the sort of mid late 90s, that switched to being IUP in Beijing. And so I really am kind of seeing how much the climate in Beijing and, and China more generally, um, the increasingly uh, frigid academic freedoms uh, that make it so Taiwan is going to be an increasingly pleasant, um, productive, and safe place to have more open discourse. And and personally, too, as someone who learned Fantiza, the traditional characters, I, I hope, too, that this will bring a resurgence of having that be part of what Chinese language learning is for more American students. Yeah, you know, when I was applying to Chinese language programs, you know, when I was finishing up college, uh, no, none of my professors, none of my language instructors pointed me to Taipei. It, it didn't even register as an option, um, even though there, there were programs there at the time. So it, it's good to see that, uh, you know, this sort of shift, obviously, to your point, uh, Harvard gets a lot of attention. Students look, looking to Harvard will also explore what other options are available in Taipei, whereas before they may not have thought to do so. Yeah, and it, and I can't say enough. Just you know, what a lovely place this is to live, uh, and so I think that's going to be a real you know joy to have the students here. Um, in addition to all the other benefits, but um, again, like sort of like the eight is, I'm looking to see longer trends, not just this one data point. But great speaking with you. You too.